Hello and welcome. Elizabeth Lockwood here. I'm your host for Mile Long Trace, where we unpack the process of practicing commercial interior design. This podcast is a catalyst to elevate you as a commercial interior designer to make you resilient and successful at your career by unpacking the facets of the design process, elevating your professional practice through organizational dynamics tips, celebrating emerged practitioners through a series of candid interviews so that you can hear how they navigated their career path, and lastly, creating a Q&A platform to build quality professional resources. In the end, I want you to feel supported in your role as a commercial interior designer so that you can be successful in your career. As passionate designers, we want to elevate the commercial interior design industry by providing credible resources to support emerging practitioners. In order to keep this content accessible, Mylong Trace is seeking industry partners and sponsors to grow this platform. Industry sponsors and partners that are passionate about supporting, influencing, and advancing commercial interior design. Mylong Trace is offering annual and a la carte sponsorship. More information and to contact us, go to MileLongTrace.com. Generous sponsorship dollars support the future of commercial interior design by building a stronger community, knowledge base, and attrition at firms and an industry at large. Welcome to episode 18, Fostering Creativity. As we transition to the fall season, and the bustle of outdoor play comes to a close, I'm drawn to explore the topic of creativity. And honestly, I had a moment, well, a really long moment where I thought, what episode should I do next? After pushing through the summer to create content relevant to COVID and social justice, I felt drawn to do something more reflective and relevant to the design process. And honestly, we, Actually, I really needed something uplifting in my life right now, so I wanted to do an episode that was more uplifting, but what I asked myself. Then a sudden fear popped into my mind, what? The dreaded what? What will I produce? Dread washed over me, and instead of feeling creative, I felt panicked. As I dug deeper and reflected on my panic, an idea popped into my head, what I like to call an aha moment. I could speak exactly to that very moment I was having, the moment in the design process when you need to summon the creative voices inside and foster creativity. Throughout this episode, I'll explore 10 tips to fostering creativity. As I began to think about the creative process and I opened my receptors to write this episode, I was reminded of a children's book I read to my kids. The story is about a child that learns about the process of creation. It's called What Do You Do? with an idea by Yamada. And the leaflet notes state, especially an idea that's different or daring or just a little weird. Do you hide it? Walk away from it. Do you pretend it isn't yours? This is a story of one brilliant idea and the child who helps to bring it into the world. As the child's confidence grows, so does the idea itself. And then, one day, something amazing happens. This is a story for anyone at any age who has ever had an idea that seemed a little too big, too odd, and too difficult. It's a story to inspire you to welcome that idea, to give it some space to grow, and to see what happens next. 
because your idea isn't going anywhere. In fact, it's just getting started. What do you do with an idea by Yamada? One day I had an idea. Where did it come from? Why is it here? I wondered. What do you do with an idea? At first, I didn't think much of it. It seemed kind of strange and fragile. I didn't know what to do with it, so I just walked away from it. I acted like it didn't belong to me, but it followed me. I worried about what others would think. What would people say about my idea? I kept it to myself. I hid it away and didn't talk about it. I tried to act like everything was just the same as it was before my idea showed up. But there was something magical about my idea. I had to admit, I felt better and happier when it was around. It wanted food. It wanted to play. Actually, it wanted a lot of attention. It grew bigger and we became friends. I showed it to other people even though I was afraid of what they would say. I was afraid that if people saw it, they would laugh at it. I was afraid they would think it was silly, and many of them did. They said it was no good. They said it was too weird. They said it was a waste of time and that it would never become anything. And at first, I believed them. Actually, thought about giving up on my idea. I almost listened to them. But then I realized, then I realized, what do they really know? This is my idea, I thought. No one knows it like I do, and it's okay if it's different and weird and maybe a little crazy. I decided to protect it, to care for it, to feed it good food. I worked with it. I played with it. But most of all, I gave it my attention. My idea grew and grew, and so did my love for it. I built it a new house, one with an open roof where it could look up at the stars, a place where it could be safe to dream. I liked being with my idea. It made me feel more alive, like I could do anything. It encouraged me to think big and then to think bigger. It shared its secrets with me. It showed me how to walk on my hands because, it said, it's good to have the ability to see things differently. I couldn't imagine my life without it. Then one day, something amazing happened. My idea changed right before my very eyes. It spread its wings, took flight, and burst into the sky. I don't know how to describe it, but it went from being here to being everywhere. It wasn't just a part of me anymore. It was now a part of everything. And then I realized, what do you do with an idea? You change the world. What I love about this book is the innocence and the simplicity at breaking down the creative process. It speaks to an idea as a being, as something that finds you, marries with you, becomes one with you. The creator has to foster it, shape it, and advocate for it, and be its champions. Maybe you can relate when I say, as an idea grows, it captures you. It becomes encompassing. I sometimes have to admit, I become a little obsessed. I can't seem to let it go until it's developed. And I love at the end, which is why I think so many of us go into design, the idea changes the world. The Next Generation of Creatives while I was teaching, a fellow faculty stormed into a faculty room with her arms in the air, waving, I've never seen it this bad. These students, I don't understand it. They don't know how to be creative. It really made us wonder if generationally, something had happened to our brains during the evolution from baby boomers to Gen X to millennials. 
Is it parenting trends? Is it K through 12 educational trends, political trends? And I believe even current events have influenced this. As Glennon Doyle states in Untamed, she describes it beautifully when she shares a story about her son. When Chase was little, we'd find him at our kitchen table drawing maps of the world and making lists of every country on earth and its capital. He'd pass entire afternoons writing his own song lyrics, and we'd collect little poems he left all over the house. When he turned 13, we bought him a cell phone. We watched him slowly fade away. He stopped drawing maps and reading and writing, and we stopped finding poems around the house. When he wasn't on his phone, he was gone. He was just hovering among us. His eyes changed. They became a little duller and heavier. Inside, the itchiness of our skins is where we discover who we are. And this is where I believe we find creativity. She further states, when we're bored, we ask ourselves, what do I want to do with myself? We are guided towards certain things, a pen and paper, a guitar, the forest in the backyard, a soccer ball, a spatula. The moment after we don't know what to do with ourselves is the moment we find ourselves. Right after itchy boredom is self-discovery, but we have to hang in there long enough without bailing. As a result, we're raising a generation of writers who will never start writing, artists who will never start doodling, chefs who will never make a mess of the kitchen, athletes who will never kick a ball against a wall, musicians who will never pick up their aunt's guitar and start strumming. Wow, after I read this, it really got me to thinking how much has technology shaped us and is influencing, you know, one would think it's enhancing our creative process, but is it? It scares me and I wonder, are we teaching the next generation the skills to be creative or are we making robots? And it makes me curious how much technology is affecting our ability to be creative. This brings me to my first tip in the episode. Be bored. Ever feel like you're lacking creativity? Maybe try being bored. Sitting with this discomfort and seeing what surfaces. I find it so easy to wander around the house and when my brain goes numb to grab my phone and surf my favorite apps. If you're yearning to be creative in your design process, try letting yourself truly unwind. Put the technology away, watch the sky or the leaves rustle, and let yourself be bored. Tip two, true precedent research. As Chase reminded us in Glennon's book, Untamed, he stated, I read this thing that said kids are getting more depressed and stressed than ever because of phones. It also said we can't talk to each other as well. I notice those things about myself sometimes lately. I also read that Ed Sheridan gave up his phone. He said he wants to create things instead of looking at things others have created. He wants to see the world through his own eyes instead of through a screen. And reminds us of the Pinterest designer, the one that, well, yes, we've all probably fallen in this trap where we pin, pin, pin a million images from other projects. In my opinion, precedent research is not creating a Pinterest board that has a million pins and calling it a day. Precedent research in its truest form, the one that many teachers were trying to get you to do all those years back in school, is to observe one's work you admire to really study it, to analyze it, to dissect it, to draw diagrams over the top of it, to really, well, truly feel and understand why design 
moves were made. Why the design process is successful or unsuccessful through your eyes. From that process, we're hoping to find inspiration, right? We're hoping to find inspiration, connections, and relationships that then in turn inform that design challenge. Tip two, put something out there. Start by putting it all out there. Anything at first is an idea and will lead to a better idea and will lead to something further down that path. You just don't know what it is yet. From what I've found, waiting for the grand idea to come isn't going to get you that aha moment. At some point, with deadlines approaching, you have to put something out there. When I'm space planning, I like to start by pulling out a roll of trace and a stylus pen and sketching over the existing shell. That beginning process of freehand drawing helps me get into the building to study it by seeing and really even feeling the space. That initial pen to paper isn't the final. It's the beginning of heaps of trace I'll create to propose creative solutions. Throughout the process, I add notes such as pros and cons. I go down rabbit holes to test parts of the design. I pull precedent. I elevate on top of it. I create quick axons to see the forms. I diagram daylight, structure, and parties. I test it. I back check it with codes and the client's program. The takeaway I'm hoping you're hearing loud and clear is starting by using your senses. If you're a kinesthetic learner, lean into that. We have to feel space. We have to put pen to paper to start that process. And there is something so different by putting pen to trace and it gliding over its silky texture than guiding your mouse in Revit or AutoCAD. Not to say computers aren't part of the design process. I think computers rely too much on the left side of the brain, the analytical side, the mathematical side, which is good when you need to back check against the code. But the initial conceptual work, the design process really needs to come from that right side, the pen and paper side, where you're using motion, you're freehand sketching, you're freeing yourself and your body to be creative. It allows us to be more gestural and artistic. It frees us from the constraints and allows the creative juices to flow. Tip four, big surprise here. I love collaboration. Collaborate. If you're a verbal learner, collaboration comes into play. We can all benefit from outside perspectives to see something that we're really too close to in the design of the project. As we get comfortable with design ideas, I believe we come blind to some of the cons. I think it's important to bounce ideas off of others and for others to verbally articulate that with us, to hash it out, to talk through those ideas and process it aloud. Collaboration is a key part of the design process. When I feel stuck, I find it helpful to play the what if game with coworkers. What if this, what if that? By verbally testing something, our peers and ourselves are collectively bringing forth some of the aspects that were on the tip of our tongue and we can't quite grasp. Tip five, de-stress. The biggest things we can do for ourselves when we want to tap into the creative side is to figure out how to not be stressed. I know, easier said than done because the sheer thought of deadlines and producing can be stressful. But Know that it doesn't help the design process. In order to be creative, we must be free to daydream. If we are stressed, our brains will physically shut off that side of the brain to keep us in our reactive fight-or-flight mode. That is why taking a shower, doing yoga, walking, being in nature, 
going for a run, cooking, meditating, sketching, painting, weaving, staring at the ocean, drinking a cup of tea, watching the leaves float from the trees are all such powerful acts that we can do to tap into creativity. For myself, my best ideas come at the end of a yoga class, a really super hot, rigorous yoga class where I push myself physically. And at the end, when I fall into full relaxation, I have those aha moments that pop into my mind. The things I've been churning on from the days before finally come together and make sense. And as Elizabeth Gilbert states in Big Magic, I believe that inspiration will always try its best to work with you. But if you're not ready or available, it may indeed choose to leave you and to search for a different human collaborator. The unfortunate part of this aha moment in the middle of a yoga class is you're having that peaceful relaxation and then I have to run like hell to capture the idea before I become distracted with another thought. Tip six, run like hell. After letting an idea percolate in the back of your mind, when it hits me, I need to quickly sit down and hatch it out on paper before the fear sets in that it might leave me and the creativity is gone. Dare anyone interrupt me during that creative moment as the idea might quickly fleet. It reminds me of when one says something amazing and then someone says, can you repeat that? And you can't even conjure up what you just said moments before because it was a stream of beautiful consciousness. Elizabeth Gilbert calls this act Tiger Tail. American poet Ruth Stone told her that when she was a child growing up on a farm in a rural Virginia, she would be out working in the fields when she would sometimes hear a poem coming towards her, hear it rushing across the landscape at her. Whenever that happens, she knows exactly what to do next. She would run like hell towards the house, trying to stay ahead of the poem, hoping to get to a piece of paper and a pencil fast enough to catch it. That way, when the poem reached her and passed through her, she would pour forth onto the paper. Sometimes, however, she was too slow, and she couldn't get to the paper and pencil in time. At those instances, she could feel the poem rushing right through her body and out the other side. It would be in her for a moment, seeking a response, and then it would be gone before she could grasp it, galloping away across the earth, as she said searching for another poet. But sometimes, and this is the wildest part, she would nearly miss the poem, but not quite. She would just barely catch it, she explained, by the tail, like grabbing a tiger. Then she would almost physically pull the poem back to her with her hand, even as she was taking dictation with the other. In this instance, the poem would appear on the page from the last word to the first backwards, but otherwise intact. So though I don't think I can recall an idea coming in backwards, I have sensed that moment when I can feel the idea fleet away and for the life of me can't seem to conjure it back up. I get the sinking feeling in me that it's gone from me because I wasn't prepared to receive it. So whether or not there is a chemical balance in our right and left side of our brains that causes this occurrence or whether it's in fact big magic, in either case, It's seizing the moment, grabbing the tiger tail to pull it back in and foster that design process. Tip seven, fringe design. What do you do when you're truly uninspired by the aspect of a project? It could be the building context, the program, or even the client are just not inspiring you. The stressful part is that we ethically owe it to our clients to dig deep and it will not feel good and be easy 
but we have to dig deep enough to find a small thread to be inspired by, and that inspiration can from, come from anywhere. Years back, I was assigned a remodel for a research clinic in a test kitchen. The building was hideous. It was a 1960s aggregate facade. It was uninspiring, and the interior was in such dire need of remodel, it was difficult to find a thread of inspiration to begin with. After the initial visit, which was downright disgusting, I went back to the office to put ink on trace and began the conceptual phase. I recall feeling stuck and wondering how am I going to find inspiration for this site. I should probably mention at this time that I was training my undergraduate degree to draw on conceptual approach from the context of the site, to look at the bones of the space and the surrounding conditions. So I have to say I'm stumped when the context was uninspiring. As I began to ideate and put some ideas out there by looking at what is and even what's not, it occurred to me the client's mission was an opportunity to celebrate. As designers, I believe it's important to have experiences that are truly related yet unrelated to architecture and interior design. And this is where I think it's important to be on the fringe, to find inspiration, do activities, have experiences, read books, listen to music, watch shows that are inspirational. We tend to talk a lot about the field, about precedents and inspirational images to inform design. But when we find one are inspired, I think looking outside of the typical sources for fringe design inspiration can help pull you out of that rut. Try doing your own fine art work, weaving, painting, sculpture, then translate that to 3D work. Spend time studying others' design process even to see if there's an aspect of their design process that works for you. Try looking at industrial designers, graphic designers, culinary artists, writers, musicians, basically anyone you admire that's being creative. The sheer act of freeing your mind to be creative in another medium might unlock your brain enough to be able to think more freely, clearly, and creatively about your own design. Tip eight, metaphors. One of the biggest challenges with being creative is the fear of failure or not being able to produce. The what if, if we can find ways to let our left brain guard down enough to tap into the right side, we can start being creative. One way is to use metaphors, which allows us to look at the relationships and the connections, to maybe even laugh or be silly, to let our guard down to daydream. Busel further states, in designing the life you love, metaphor, take your mind on a magical detour, seemingly away from your subject, while actually sending you deep into the heart of the matter. They provide hooks to explore details already forgotten. They make complexity manageable. Tip nine, iterate. The design process is iterative. Design iteration is the practice of rinse and repeat. Observe, analyze, and I like to question what's working and what's not, and then take it back to the drawing board and try it again until you fall off the cliff even and you prove the design is right. Remember, bad design is just as informative during the design process as good design. And if you haven't tested the design enough to prove what's not, you haven't iterated enough. Tip 10. Final one is to trust. My final tip, trust yourself. Trust the design process. Throughout the design, take a step back from the grind and put yourself on the balcony. Understand that ideas have to be played out. Even gut-wrenching bad ones have to be played out. Ones you just intuitively know aren't right. You have to demonstrate that to others on your team or maybe even the client. We just experienced this last week between some of our team members we consult with. When we design with intuition, we know something feels right, but sometimes we have to test it anyway. 
We have to develop the idea that doesn't feel right to us to demonstrate to the team and even the client that the idea just really doesn't make sense. But if we had not pushed ourselves enough internally, there would have always been that inkling where one wonders, what if? Remember the creative process about relaxing the left brain and letting the creative right brain flow. There is no right or wrong at this point, as sometimes the wrong, though humbling, is just as informative to the right answer. Throw it all out there on the table and be okay to be messy, uncomfortable, and have some unknown. Have a dark hole that you feel you're going down. Test out some of those. Because the beauty of the creative process is the sense of arrival when we have an aha moment and everything falls into place. In summary, to be more creative, allow yourself to be bored. Study others' work to understand what works and what doesn't. Put something out there and start somewhere by using a pen and trace. Verbalize the design challenges with peers. Relax and create a stress-free environment. Look for others or perform fringe design to find parallel and creative outlets. Lean into metaphors to unlock creative connections. The design process should be iterative. Make sure to rinse and repeat. Finally, trust the design process. Take the time it takes to iterate. Alrighty, I hope you enjoyed today's episode. If you want more, please spread the love and subscribe to this podcast. You can find supporting information in the show notes for this episode on milelongtrace.com. If you're itching to have a question answered about the interior design profession, visit our website to contact me. Don't forget to follow Trace on Instagram to stay in the know. Hey, share this with your friends to grow this platform so that we can continue to provide you kick-ass information that is relevant to you and your profession. Till next time, keep designing, y'all.